what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. We're back again today for another Bridge Etymology. In case you're tuning in for the first time, I'm Asha Gabriel. I'm the CEO of Bridget. And together with my bestie and Bridget COO, Kashia Rosenberg, I run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls. Meet Bridget is our podcast. Now, Bridge Etymology is all about etymology, really. Etymology is a study of the origin of words and the way in which their meanings have changed throughout history. These Bridge Etymology episodes have been some of my very favorites to create and curate. At the heart of everything we do is confidence and communication, and we really believe that those things are inextricably linked. And what better way to establish and maintain confidence than to speak it into existence? We use these quick snack-sized episodes to bring you along with us on our journey to becoming better and more intentional communicators. This is a space for us to take a pause and consider the deeper meaning behind words we may hear all the time, but never really know exactly where they came from. We'll be breaking down words to their original meanings and including some compelling and fun stories along the way. Don't you think you ought to do something about expanding your vocabulary? Today, I am breaking down the word champion. We are a culture fascinated by winners, those who come out on top and can fight to prove it. These days, we also have plenty of important causes and platforms that need championing. Whether a champion is rising through elite levels of a sport or fighting to promote a cause they believe in, they capture our attention on a grand scale. We have champions from every continent, so please, everyone, a name tag. So I thought it would be fun to break down this word to its origins and explore some extensions of its roots as well. A champion, by definition, is an ongoing winner in a game or contest. Someone who is chosen to represent a group of people in a contest. Someone who fights for a cause or status. Or someone who fights on another's behalf. Caesar is pleased to bring you the only undefeated champion in Roman history, the legendary Titus of Gaul. Now let's get into where this word came from. Champion comes from Middle English, champion, which refers to a martial artist, a soldier, guardian, promoter, or winner. Champion came from Old French champion, from Late Latin campio or campionen, from Frankish campio, fighter, is what that referred to. And that came from the Latin campus, which referred to a flat level ground, a plain or a field. That root came from the Proto-West Germanic Campion, which referred to a battle. And that comes from that German root Camp, which referred to a battlefield, but then even before that referred to a field. And that root came from the Proto-Indo-European Kemp, which referred to a bend or curve. So let's get into this. That was a lot of different languages and pronunciations, and hopefully I got them all right. But... That etymology rundown really ties the meaning of champion to the original root camp, 
which evolved to mean battlefield from its first meaning as just a field. That makes sense when you think about a camp or even going camping. You think about sleeping in an open space close to the ground. Why do I feel like I'm at summer camp? Another English word that comes from this same root is campus. The first thought that comes to mind when I hear campus is its use in educational settings, particularly as a college campus. Now, how is that tied to the original meaning of camp as a field of battle? I can tell you that some of my UCLA classes got so competitive they sometimes felt like a battlefield, but the original uses of campus referred to fields used when warriors were learning military exercises. Eventually, campuses became training grounds for sporting events, and then they ultimately became places where people train their minds among other people. So there's your college campus. I'll see you around campus. Another English word that comes from camp is campaign. This word was first heard in the 1640s referring to the operation of an army in a field during a single season or in a particular region or in a definite enterprise. This use stemmed from the old French word champagne, which referred to the countryside or open country and eventually referred to a very specific region of France. We'll come back to that. Old armies used to spend their winters in their quarters and then took to the open field, that campaign, to seek battle in the summer. Campaign eventually was generalized to refer to continued or sustained aggressive operations for the accomplishment of some purpose. In the U.S., campaigns particularly refer to political activity before an election, marked by the organized action in influencing the voters. So the word campaign just generally refers to a burst of effort towards a cause during a particular period of time. The chancellor has requested that I lead the campaign. So I am extremely pregnant right now, and I'd like to go back to that French region of Champagne. Once I am the champion of childbirth, I very much look forward to enjoying some. The name of Champagne is probably derived from that Latin campagna, meaning land of plains. Mentions of Campania appear in chronicles from the early 6th century AD. Champagne consists mostly of flat plains and is interrupted by low hills and by the valley of the Marne River. Now, from the Champagne website itself, which is actually really interesting, highly recommend checking it out, there is this story of the evolution of Champagne in our culture and around the world. So from the earliest days of Christianity, before even the Middle Ages, wine was consecrated and used to celebrate the Eucharist. The vineyards were then entirely in the hands of the monasteries. So it was that in 496 AD, this traditional use of wine combined with the particular location of the Champagne vineyards secured Champagne's place in history. On Christmas Day that year, the Frankish warrior Clovis was baptized in Reims Cathedral and crowned the first king of France. The bishop who anointed Clovis was St. Remy, himself from a villa surrounded by vines not far from what is now Epernay. And the wines used in the, that consecration were champagne wines. Champagne continued to grow in popularity, becoming a fixture in political circles and art and culture in France and beyond. Now, these words were taken from a satirical work published by Voltaire, French writer, in 1736. The sparkling froth of this fresh wine is the dazzling image of us, the French. Another French literary heavyweight, Alexandre Dumas, admitted to placing a glass of champagne beside his inkwell in hope that it might inspire his pen to sparkle. 
By the late 17th century, as champagne makers gradually came to grips with the process of effervescence, that bubbliness we love, the monks lost their traditional hold on production, and champagne became the wine of choice for festive occasions. Its mischievous lightness struck the exactly the right chord when it came to the free-thinking libertines of the 18th century. The ladies of the time just loved the way the cork came jumping out of the bottle. By the early 19th century, the champagne houses were busy creating new outlets for champagne, braving the perils of land and sea to woo the American and Russian markets. In Europe, the first to be bitten by the champagne bug were the English. And within just a few years, champagne had already made an entrance on the coast of California and in New York. By the early 20th century, it was all set to take the whole world by storm. In May of 1945, champagne was, of course, the only choice to celebrate when General Eisenhower obtained Germany's unconditional surrender. And what a celebration it was. Since the early 20th century, champagne wines have grown to be a mark of success. No wine symbolizes the pleasures of conviviality better than the sparkling champagne. Champagne is the wine people turn to for celebration, regardless of their race, religion, or creed. Who do you think it is? Terrence, give the ladies some champagne. In fact, champagne for everybody. Courtesy of Billy Ray Valentine. Indeed, champagne is a drink for champions. We went on quite the journey there, expanding on other words that share this camp root. But I want to return to that root of camp, the Proto-Indo-European kemp, meaning bend or curve. You can see how this meaning is connected to the idea of a varied landscape of a field with physical ups, downs, hills, and valleys. But I like the connection that the road to championship is not necessarily flat or clear, but it can curve and bend in ways in which we don't always anticipate. Whatever causes, goals, sports, visions you are working to champion, may you stay the course and weather those ups and downs. And maybe raise a champagne toast, if you're of legal drinking age, of course, every once in a while to celebrate your wins. Our new state champions, the North Shore Mathletes. So cheers. See you next week on Meet Bridget. Thank you for joining me. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?